Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mike and Cheryl. I heard that. Yes, absolutely. You know, we don't say thank you enough. That last song I heard over the summer and uh, at one of the churches, um, and I texted Mike and I said, Mike, I think uh, this is from some Australian praise, but it's, it's the kind of song you would like, because Mike likes God-centered songs, which I like too, of course. So and Mike says, yeah, I think I do like that song. So what a great, what a great statement about uh, who we worship. Only a holy God. I want us to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. So for anyone that may be relatively new, watching or present, uh, we were in Ecclesiastes back at the beginning of this year. I look back in my calendar and uh, the last sermon, the last time we were in Ecclesiastes was March 15th. It's been that long since we've been um, in Ecclesiastes and here we are, of course, in September. What happened is COVID, of course, hit um, and we decided to take a break a little bit from Ecclesiastes and spend some time in the Gospels leading up to Easter and then the book of Acts. And then, of course, throughout the summer, we had all of these great uh, summer guest preachers. But I want to bring us back to Ecclesiastes for a couple of reasons. One, because the end is the best part. And I, and I took you guys all the way to chapter 9, and we never finished it, where it talks about why life under the sun is incomplete and why we need to look over the sun. So I want to get back to it. And secondly, because I do think uh, so much of what's happening in our world right now, Ecclesiastes is a good word from the Lord for us. But just a brief, brief recap, Ecclesiastes is written by the preacher, Kohelet. Um, he is uh, the, the one who speaks to the ecclesia, the, the gathered people of God. That's why it's called Ecclesiastes. And the preacher uh, is sort of writing an apologetic, a defense of the Christian faith. In that defense, he, he talks about life under the sun, which I think means life really without heaven in mind, without God really in the picture and how incomplete it is. Yes, there's some good under the sun. We can find joy in our work, joy in our, our spouse. Um, but ultimately, it's meaningless. It's a vapor that comes. Our lives are like a vapor that comes and disappears. And that we need then to look above the sun. Well, in this section here, we're in 9.13, going on to 10.7. He gives us a number. Most of this is, are these short Proverbs. So Proverbs are like one verse, one line, two, you know, one sentence, short, pithy little sayings. Like, almost like little pills, like little like nuggets of truth, little medicine that you take for your soul. These short statements of wisdom. That's what a lot of this section is. And Ecclesiastes is part of the wisdom literature in the Bible, along with Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, and the book of Job. But in this section in particular, he talks about the difference between wisdom and folly. And of course, we're called to be wise and avoid folly, even under the sun. Even if you sort of take heaven out of the picture, wisdom is still better than folly. But at the end of the day, we need to look above the sun where we find the wisdom of God, Christ. And I think this is fitting because we live in a time of folly. <laughs> um, actually, all the world under the sun is folly. That's kind of what Ecclesiastes is saying. But we could even look to our day and say, yeah, I think we live in particularly a time of folly. You have, of course, social media, and you have all of these Facebook gurus, right, who know everything about everything. They're experts when it comes to pandemics, and they're experts when it comes to politics, and they're experts when it comes to the economy, and they will make their voice known, right? Then you have know-it-all Karens, 
Um, if you don't, if, uh, sorry if anyone's named Karen. I mean, your, your name has now become a meme, right? But a Karen is sort of a middle-aged woman who thinks she can fix everybody else's life, right? So we have all these know-it-all Karens out there telling us how we're to live. Then we have fake news. So what is, the, what, is the, what is true and what is false? Who knows? So we have political ads right now who are clearly biased. You know, If you vote yes on question one, everything's going to fall apart. If you vote in the next commercial, if you vote no on question one, everything's going to fall apart. I mean, where's the truth? And then you turn to the fact checkers. And then you realize who's fact checking the fact checkers, right? You turn to Snopes and you realize, well, Snopes is actually coming from a specific perspective of everything. We live in a time where we're bombarded with information and there's a whole lot of foolishness. (laughs) And into that world, Ecclesiastes would say, be wise and avoid folly, even under the sun. How do we do that? Look at 9.13. Chapter 9, verse 13. That's where we left off way back in March. And we're going to stop at 10, verse 7. He says, I have seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it, in the city that is, a poor, wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise, heard in quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. The word of the Lord. We're going to walk through this. First, you know, we have an outline that you, we're not passing out bulletins um, at this point in time, but that wisdom is better than power, 913 to 918. Wisdom is the opposite of folly, far as from the right to the left. That's verses, uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. And wisdom is not about our position, our position in life, verses 5 through 7. But first, wisdom is better than power. Wisdom is better than power. And he gives us a sort of an example from his own life. And Remember, this is perhaps written by King Solomon. It doesn't have to be written by Solomon. He never says it's Solomon specifically, but probably King Solomon. So he has experience. He may even be the king in this illustration given. If not, he perhaps knows the king uh, from this illustration. Uh, we don't know anything more than that. We don't know who this is. We don't know who the wise man in the city is. We know nothing. But he just says there's a small city. It's walled because there's a siege against it. And a great king comes against it. 
and he lays siege to that small town. And, you know, siege, we think of a siege, you know, kind of as medieval times. Siege is brutal. A siege basically blocks anyone from entering or leaving the city, tries to starve them out until they're weak, and eventually breaks down the wall and tries to conquer the city. So that's a brutal thing. But inside this small city, standing up against this great king and his big army, is a poor, wise man. And that poor, wise man finds a way to save the city. (laughs) Saves hundreds of lives, thousands of lives, whatever it may be. And how does he do it? We don't know. Did he do it through, through strategy? You know, he found a way to overcome his larger, greater enemy. Or did he do it through diplomacy? Uh, found a way to make peace with those who are besieging the city? We don't know. Uh, I wish we knew more. Don't you wish you knew more? What is he talk- who is this person that he's talking about here? We do have other examples like this. Actually, there's one in the Bible. So Joab, this is in 1 Samuel chapter 20. Joab is the leader of the armies of the Lord. He's chasing a rebel named Sheba. And Sheba enters into an, an ancient city in Israel, a walled city. And so Joab takes the armies of Israel and he's ready to conquer that city to get the rebel Sheba. And this is what happens. This is verse 16. Then a wise woman called from the city, listen, listen, tell Joab, come here that I may speak to him. So she can imagine her. She's standing on the top of the wall, sort of calling out to the army. And Joab comes near and the woman says, are you Joab? He answered, I am. Then she said to him, listen to the words of your servant. And he said, I'm listening. Then she said, they used to say in former times, let them but ask counsel at Abel. Abel is the name of the town. And so they settled the matter. I am one of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city that is a mother in Israel. Why will you swallow up the heritage of the Lord? And Joab answered, far be it from me, far be it, that I should swallow up or destroy That is not true. But a man of the hill country of Ephraim called Sheba, the son of Bichri, has lifted up his hand against King David. Give up him alone, and I will withdraw from the city. Things are brutal in ancient times, so be prayer yourself. The woman says to Joab, Behold, his head shall be thrown to you over the wall. Then the woman went to the people in her wisdom, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, threw it out to Joab, so he blew the trumpet, and they dispersed from the city, every man to his home, and Joab returned to Jerusalem to the king. So one old wise woman saves the lives of hundreds of people in that city through a means of diplomacy. Well, one more example. And this one's more from, uh, from world history. Um, uh, for those who have studied any sort of ancient history, the siege of Syracuse uh, by the Roman Republic. So this is like 3rd century B.C. The Roman Republic is coming against this town in Syracuse and they're ready to destroy it again by siege. And one of the citizens is a brilliant mathematician inventor named Archimedes. And Archimedes comes up with an invention that's called the Claw of Archimedes. I have a picture of it. Which basically has this claw that uses a fulcrum for your engineers out there that would reach down, grab a ship, the side of a ship, and then lift it out of the water and then drop it and have it destroyed and sink. And so this town of Syracuse is able to fend off the Roman army because of the wisdom of this one man. But ultimately, Ecclesiastes says, in some ways it's kind of a sad ending. Nobody remembers him. We don't know his name. Even actually, actually the, seas, the, the siege of Syracuse is a failure 
Archimedes is eventually killed and the Romans do eventually take the city of Syracuse. Wisdom doesn't really win in the end. We'll come back to that. He continues the idea, though, that the shouting of a ruler who's a fool is not as good as a quiet, wise person. That wisdom is better than the great weapons of war. Better to have a wise, poor man who saves the city. Here's his point, friends, that wisdom is better than power. (laughs) It's better than might. It's better than strength, even under the sun. Uh, When you think about it, if you look at so much of how the world works under the sun, power is everything. Nietzsche taught this, that power, might makes right. The idea of nihilism, this is all that matters under the sun. Who holds the power? If you look to sort of Darwin's idea of the survival of the fittest, and that's applied to social Darwinism of, again, might makes right. Dog eats dog. The strongest are the ones who prevail. Tolkien talks about this in uh, Lord of the Rings. In Middle Earth, he describes men who above all else crave power. It's kind of true of our world, isn't it? What's going on in our world? It's a fight for power. Who gets to be in charge? Who gets to make the decisions? Even really the pursuit of wealth is really sort of about power, right? I mean, what, what do you need an extra zero after your, your 100 million to your billion to your 10 billion? I mean, they're just numbers on a bank account at this point, on a spreadsheet. It's about power. What's fame about? I want people to think about me, put their attention on me, spend more of their day considering me. What do we value? We value athletes who have greater strength to dominate and conquer others. It's about power. We live, uh, of course, we, we love superheroes. I'm a big superhero guy too. I grew up reading comics and stuff, but what, what, is, a, what is a superhero? Somebody that has a power that no one else has. You know, the old question, would you rather have the power of invisibility or the power of flying? Let's see, how many people would rather have the power of invisibility? How many people would rather have the power of flying? All right, so way more flying. That's interesting. So I guess that's supposed to tell you something about yourself. If you're invisibility, then you like, you're, you're kind of an introvert who quietly wants to be able to do things unseen. And if you're flying, you like the attention. You want to fly above everybody else, right? Would you rather have super strength or super smart? It's really about power. Under the sun, everything's about power. Will you be a master or will you be a servant? One commentator, Derek Kidner, says in his description here, we are left with more than a suspicion that in human politics, the last word will regularly go to the loud voice of verse 17 or the cold steel of verse 18. Seldom to truth, seldom to merit. But under the sun isn't all there is. For that we have to look above the sun. Before we get there, though, be more interested in wisdom than in power. Don't don't be in love with power. Like the world is in love with power. In fact, the truth of the matter is, it's maybe a little bit controversial, Christians don't usually do well with power. All right, so most of history, church history, and most of the world, Christians are not the ones with worldly power. They're the ones who are persecuted in the minority, and they tend to thrive best that way. Whenever Christians get power, 
like with Constantine and others, it tends to be a mixed bag. It doesn't always go very well. Why is that? Because we serve the Lord Jesus. And what's the very gospel that we proclaim? That Jesus had ultimate power. That he had the power to create. By him all things were created, that have been created. He has the power to destroy. He's divine. He's God. There are no limits. His power, and what does he do? He uses it to die for us. He uses it to serve. He was equal with God. Did not cons- he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, held onto, but humbled himself and taking the very nature of a servant. He went to the cross for us. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying power is bad. Actually, power is neutral. It's what you do with it. (laughs) In the sinful world under the sun, so often it is used for evil. If God gives you some level of power, use it for good. If you're a manager at your job, use it to do good. If you're some type of leader in the community, hopefully you use it for good. If you're an elder in your church, you use it to glorify God. You use it to help people. You use it to make a better world. But our thirst and our hunger isn't for power. It should be for something better than that, for wisdom and ultimately to look above the sun. Wisdom, he says, is the opposite of folly. Now, that sounds obvious, but let's look specifically at what he's getting at in ten, chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Wisdom is better than folly. It's the opposite of folly. And he talks about how dead flies stink up perfume. Now, you understand, perfume is a luxury item, especially back then. Um, it was, it was you know, something that very expensive and that you would keep in your house, and it was used for smell. I mean, it was used to smell good. So if a, few, if a number of dead flies get in it and stink it up, you just destroy it. You ruin something precious and valuable. And how many flies does it take to stink up a thing of perfume? I don't know, but nevertheless, he's saying that the whole thing gets ruined. And in the same way, a little folly stinks up wisdom. <laughs> a little folly stinks up honor. Uh, you know, we, one of the things we did during this sabbatical, um, we, and all these traveling, is we, we ate well. All right? We ate really, really well. It was a really enjoyable to eat different meals all over the place. And uh, we even ate at a, a Michelin-rated restaurant. First time I've ever eaten at a Michelin-rated re- restaurant in Napa Valley. And they serve this beautiful, delicious meal. And again, it's, it's about appearance as well as taste and all that. Can you imagine they, they bring out this, this beautiful, delicious meal. And we're ready to dive in. And there's a nice cockroach sitting in the middle, right? That would just ruin everything. <laughs> right? That's kind of the idea here. This, this perfume is destroyed by a few dead flies. Next sentence says, what, what, The wise go to the right and fools to the left. That is not a political statement, all right? So that is that, uh, the idea of the left and the right, the way we think of that today is, was not the way they thought of it. The right hand was the side of strength. One who sits at your right hand is the, the place of highest honor because most people are righties. I'm a lefty. Sorry, lefties. The world belongs to the righties, I guess. That's kind of, well, it's the majority of people are, are, are righties. But he's saying that the right is the side of favor and how far then... How opposite then is the side of foolishness? You think of Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats. The sheep are on his right. So far then are the goats on his left. 
And then he actually uses a little bit of a joke. We may not have sort of caught the joke. But he's saying a, a fool is known even for going for a walk. He could, he, you know, he's walking down the street and he makes his folly known. You know, he gets chatty or she gets chatty and everybody knows, okay, this person's a fool. They talk about stuff they have no nothing uh, about. Opposite of that is wisdom. Wisdom stays calm. It puts offenses to rest. Doesn't get easily rattled or befuddled. Stays at peace. Shalom. Uh, there's a lot of folly out there, as I started saying. Um, now understand that folly, foolishness, is not the same as, as lacking education. That's not what he's getting at. He's not talking about a lack of smarts or intelligence, um, a lack of experience. That's not the fool. He's talking about the moral fool. Uh, the person who is, who's just listening to the ways of this world and constantly making decisions that go against God. And friends, I mean, that's an important word for us. What, what source are you getting your information? As I mentioned, we, we're on information overload. <laughs> I mean, we have, we have constant voices speaking into us through social media, through the news and everything. I mean, I think I can remember sitting there with my laptop, with the TV on in front of me, and looking at my phone all at the same time, right? I mean, we're just loaded, bombarded with information constantly. And social media, friends, is in many ways one of the worst places to get information. Um, anyone can post about any subject and they can do it anonymously, right? I mean, you can imagine a lot of misinformation goes out there through that. I've always said that the comment section on, on most social media, like YouTube, is, is the dumpster fire of the internet, all right? It's the lowest of low in, uh, in the comment section. People will post anything about anything uh, there. And Christians, friends, are called to be wise in the midst of this. You know, we should not be running after every conspiracy theory that comes down the pipe. Every latest fad, every little piece of gossip, that type of gullibility does damage to the gospel and to our witness. I think there's a lot of applications here for us. A little bit of folly can ruin a lot of wisdom. Search your heart. Is there an area of your life that is, that is tended to folly? You know, overall, you're a pretty wise person, but man, you have no control over your temper. You've allowed some dead flies to get into the perfume. Overall, you're a pretty godly man, but you've got some sexual perversions, maybe some pornographic addiction. You've allowed folly into your life. You're a pretty obedient to the scriptures woman. You, you love the Lord. But honestly, when it comes to finances, there's no sense of generosity or faithfulness to the Lord. Is there an area of your life that you've allowed folly to stink up the rest? And what happens, friends, as you know, people look at that aspect of your life and say, look, I guess that's the representation of Christ right there. They see the folly in your life. I would say certainly there's a word for us to surround yourself with some wise people. Uh, don't surround yourself with fools. We talked about that in Psalm 1. When we read Psalm 1 in the beginning, the, the wise person does not walk or stand or sit among the fools because why? He's influenced by those around him. Instead, he what? He sits by the streams of water. He allows the word to regularly feed his soul. 
Now seek wise advice in life. First of all, be in the Word. <laughs> this is where you get wisdom. Uh, the, the Bible goes beyond merely the latest fad that you're seeing on TV. The Bible points us to eternal wisdom. This has survived generations and generations. It will certainly survive this generation and everyone in this room until, the, until Christ returns. Surround yourself with strong, mature Christian friends. You know, you're looking for advice about life. You, you need to make a big decision. Look to people who are wise. Read good books. You know, read read. Two good books for every not-so-good book you read, right? Make sure you're getting wisdom and certainly maintain that spirit of calm, especially during these times, especially when everybody is anxious and worried and fearful. Is, is your, are you known as a calm and wise woman or man? A lot of application to us here. And third, this third section, wisdom is not about our position. It's not about our position. He talks about here, a teacher gives us some sound advice about wisdom. Where do you find it? Where do you find it? He says, first of all, there's, there's an evil under the sun. Um, under the sun is a fallen and sinful, broken world. Things don't always go as they should. Things are not always good. In fact, they're often bad under the sun. Yes, God will fix it. Get to that in just a bit. But yes, evil is under the sun. And another area in which we see this is in those in authority. Uh, governing authorities is probably what he primarily has in mean, mind. Kings and queens, perhaps business leaders. leaders. There's an application for us as well. But he says we find folly in many of the high places. And we find the rich in low places. And I think he's being sort of ironic here. That's my understanding of what he's getting at here. He doesn't mean rich meaning wealth. He means those who are rich, rich in heart, rich in wisdom in a sense. They're, they're, they're true Uh, noble in heart. We find them in low places. And sometimes those in the high places are the biggest fools of all. Uh, Those in positions of authority and political power are those who are morally insufficient. They are fools. That's what he's saying. I think similarly, perhaps in this next section, that's what's being said. We find slaves on horseback and we find princes on the ground. Um, he could also be talking here, if not necessarily uh, being ironic, he could be saying it could change in a heartbeat. One minute the prince is in a place of authority riding the horse and circumstances in life all of a sudden get turned upside down. That may be what he's getting at as well. In the blink of an eye, life changes. Uh, but certainly, friends, we could all attest to this. Being in a position of power doesn't make you wise. <laughs> Uh, Being in a position of uh, governmental authority uh, doesn't necessarily, that means you are a moral leader. And we need to be cautious to understand that. I was, uh, one of the things I did during the sabbatical, we did some things locally. Kind of checked out some sites right here. And uh, this, uh, those who are from New Hampshire here, there's the Courier and Ives Scenic Byway, which I didn't even know was right there in New Hampshire, not too far from here. And on that road, at the two ends of it actually, are two early politicians Daniel Webster and Franklin Pierce. And I didn't, uh, it's interesting to learn about them. So Daniel Webster was uh, a man who was labeled the defender of the Constitution. He's remembered as one of the greatest statesmen of our country. He sought the presidency over and over and never achieved it. Never achieved that position of authority. The man who grew up not too far from him, Franklin Pierce was elected the 14th president of the United States. He was a strong adversary of the abolitionists, and he supported the expansion of slavery in the West, 
and is typically ranked one of the worst presidents in our nation's history. <laughs> so right down the street, you have two politicians, one who never really achieved the high office that he sought, but was wise and is remembered for his wisdom. And you have a man who made it to the presidency, the 14th president, and is considered one of the worst leaders we've had in our country in its history. That's not an illustration of what he's getting at right here. I just want to say a brief word about politics, if I could. And I'm going to be tread carefully right here. But uh, um, that's his point right here. It's broken. This is an evil under the sun. And I just want to give you a heads up if you don't know this. Things are going to get more and more crazy. And voices are going to get louder and louder and not necessarily the wise voices. How important is it for us as Christians to be known for our hope? Not our political party. I think I can say this with confidence. You will not hear me advocate a candidate from this pulpit. Won't happen. Um, I actually think it's healthy for churches to have people in their congregation from very different political positions. It helps us learn how to love. <laughs> helps us learn how to love. Now, of course, I would say vote, do your civic duty, stay informed, but follow King Jesus above all else. Don't let it divide you. Now, I've heard people say this. I don't know how any Christian, anyone could be a Christian and support dot, dot, dot on both sides. How could any Christian support Democrats? How could any Christian support Trump? I've heard the whole thing. Because our our service is to King Jesus, and we can disagree on the specifics of the application of how we live this out in this world. My friends, here's what I would say. Whatever your position in life, be wise. Be wise. It's not about being in a position of power. There are Christians in government, and we, friends, pray for them. (laughs) I've met some of them. It's tough. So pray for those Christians who are in those positions all over the place, in both parties and everywhere else. Pray for them. And don't say, I'm just a nobody. I don't have any worldly position. That's what he says here. Well, then be a prince. (laughs) Be rich in wisdom. Be wise in the calling that God has given you. Master your work, whether that's carpentry or a mechanic or a teacher or a nurse or an Uber driver or a doctor or and especially a mom. (laughs) Do it well. Be a prince or princess of the Lord as you serve him in whatever position God has placed you in. As Jesus said, the first will be last. The last will be first. Be a servant of all. Because God will fix what happens under the sun. In some ways, his point, not only in this section, but really through Ecclesiastes, but looking specifically here, is that wisdom under the sun is a failure. It's a failure. So the poor, wise man saved the city, yes. But he's not remembered. He's totally forgotten. Wisdom is better than folly, but even a little bit of folly mixed in, and let's be honest, a little bit of folly is mixed in every one of our lives, ruins the whole pot anyway. When you look at positions, the whole world is messed up. It's upside down. There's evil that happens under the sun. Fools are in positions of power and vice versa. The wise, those who should be in those positions, are not. Under the sun, the system is broke. Beyond repair. 
That's his point. Yes, the world can get better, but ultimately it's hopeless. To find hope, we have to look above the sun. Hope is found in the one from heaven. Hope is found in a savior named Jesus. One whom the preacher was still waiting for. And one that we look back on and know he's come for us. Our hope, our uh, our expectation is that Christ, who right now sits on the throne, will return in time and right all that is wrong, fix all that is broken, and redeem all that is under sin. That's our Yes, be wise <laughs> and avoid folly, even under the sun. Uh, we have a lot of Christians, friends, in our world, and especially here in the United States, who are talented, and they're smart, and they're funny, and they're gifted speakers, and they're super cool. We have a lot of Christians who are in positions of power, whether that's government, or business, or in entertainment. And yet, the Christian faith is not thriving here. Why is that? <laughs> why is our country not, why are we becoming more and more secular? Because what we need is not more talent and more funniness and more smarts. What we need is more Christians who are wise, who are Christ-like, who are princes in life, and whose eyes are over the sun. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you so much for the book of Ecclesiastes. A book that is that <laughs> older than everyone in this room by hundreds, actually well over a thousand years, and yet speaks to us today because of your Spirit's inspiration. Lord, we live under the sun. This is where we live out our lives and things are turned upside down and things don't always go the way we want and but we thank you so much that, Lord Jesus, you have entered our world. You have broken through this world under the sun and have come as Savior for us. And in Christ, we find hope. In Christ, we find eternal hope. So that those who are in Jesus need never despair and never be hopeless. Because we know that in Christ, you're with us. You carry us through this. There is hope to grow and mature and be sanctified in Christ, and also, Lord, we know that the day is coming when you will set all things right. Help us to be wise, Lord. We need wisdom. Help us to live during these crazy times with calmness and trust in a sovereign God and the Lord Jesus who sits on the throne. In your name, amen.